You need to ask yourself, who's called? Uh, am I? Well, the answer is yes. The Great Commission doesn't just extend to a few people. It's a Great Commission that goes to everyone. He doesn't pick and choose who he'll call. He calls you to a mission field that he gives you. It could be a mission field at your job place. It could be a mission field of your neighborhood. It could be a mission field within your own family because you may have lost loved ones within your family that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. At this time, KCICFM invites you to join us for our weekly live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church. And if you want to turn your Bibles to me with First Corinth or to First Corinthians chapter number one. First Corinthians chapter number one. And um, as Brother Landis said earlier, the title, or not so much the title, but the theme behind of this drama is God uses unlikely people, or the least likely people. Those are the people that God chooses to use. And so that's what I want to emphasize on tonight is exactly God's unlikely people. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, we'll begin reading in verse number 25. It says, but God hath chosen the foolish thing, or not, I'm sorry, I'm beginning reading verse 27. Verse number 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, Lord, I thank you for this drama. And Lord, I thank you for the life of Isabel Kuhn that we can look to and try to learn from. Lord, I thank you for your word, most of all, and Lord, for what it can teach us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us here as we look in your word for a few minutes. I pray that you would speak to each and every heart here in this building. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless and guide. I pray that you'd use me to speak to people. In your name I pray, amen. So I love these verses so much. And I would suppose the reason I love them so much is because I feel like they're talking about me. In and of myself, I'm a very shy individual normally. I don't like to talk to people a whole lot. And it's actually taken years of me trying to break out of that to get to where I could actually carry on conversations with people more so. And, be, and also public speaking, speaking in public places and stuff was one of those things that I feared the most of anything. I told you today that I'm from Greenville, South Carolina. There in Greenville, I'm a pastor's son. And so I have two other brothers, and we have grown up in a pastor's home our entire life, pretty much. My grandfather was the pastor of our church for 37 years. And then from there, my dad, about 10 years ago, became the pastor of that church. And so we've constantly been involved in ministry, and my grandfather especially, he loved to randomly pull us out of the audience and bring us up on stage. And one of the most terrifying things to a five-year-old is being pulled out of your seat where you're hiding behind a pew and pulled up on stage. And that terrified me of being up in public and speaking. And you know, a few years later, or a few years ago, I, when I was graduating high school, I was trying to find out what the Lord would have me to do. And I was praying and praying and praying and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And it was like God kept telling me, and I kept every message I heard, every preacher I ever heard, was preaching about young people willing to surrender to be a preacher or somehow be involved in ministry. And in my mind, every time I heard that, I said, no, that is not me. I cannot get in front of people and speak. And that was my holdout on it. 
And after several months, actually probably close to a year of dealing with that, I finally said, Lord, if you want me to, be, if you want me to speak for you, Lord, you have to give me that ability. And any of myself, I can tell you this, before this service, I've had butterflies in my stomach. I've been scared to get up here, but it's almost like God gives a peace when you come up here. It's like God's willing to help you. And so this verse, especially 25, where it says that God uses the weak, or verse number 28, where it says that God uses the weak things. God's willing to use those that are weak, those that have no power in and of themselves, to do things for and so that gives me joy because in and of myself, I'm foolish, I'm weak, and I'm scared. And so that gives me comfort to know that God might still be able to do something with me. And so in preparing for this, I tried to think through the Bible and think, who was the least likely individual in the Bible to be used of God? Who was the one that out of nowhere showed up and God used in incredible ways? And immediately, my name started popping in my mind. I started thinking of back in Genesis. You think of Joseph. You think of Moses. You think of Noah, immediately you move on through the Old Testament, you think of Job, you think of David, all these different men, and you keep going on, you think of all 11 disciples, and you think of all these people that God used in different, unique ways, and every single one of them was an unlikely candidate, someone who was unlikely to be used. And so I began to think, okay, so I only have like 15, 20 minutes, what am I going to talk about? And so I tried to think of an area where most of these people would be. And I think I found it, Hebrews chapter number 11. We call it the Hall of Faith, but I'd like to rename it the Hall of the Unlikely. If you want, if you want to turn over to Hebrews chapter number 11 with me. Hebrews chapter number 11, and the first person in Hebrews 11, for time's sake, we can't look at everyone here. But the first person we're going to look at is found in verse number 22. And so you look down through Hebrews 11, and there's so many names and so many different people that God used in incredible ways. But yet here in verse number 22, we find a man by the name of Joseph, someone we all know. And we'll go ahead and read verse number 22 here. It says, By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. And so here we see Joseph's name is brought up in this um, passage with all these other people that have been used of God in incredible ways. And you think about Joseph, and it's no surprise. The life that Joseph lived was unique, so unique and so different, and God used him in so many different ways. And you think of Joseph and how he was rejected by his family. He was rejected by everyone that cared for him. Everything in his life was taken away from him. He was sold into a foreign country. He was cast into prison because his own master... The only person that bought him as a slave rejected him. So not only did his family reject him, not only did his master, as a, or his master when he was a servant reject him, but then when he was in prison, he was forgotten about. And it seemed like in this point in his life, when he's there in prison, that everyone in his entire life had forgotten about him. But yet God had not forgotten about him. And this person that was in a jail cell, it doesn't, you think about unlikely individuals and you think about Joseph, He's, how likely is he to be used of God in incredible ways from a jail cell? Down, underground somewhere, locked in stocks more than likely, hidden away where no one wants to see him, and yet that's who God chose to use because he was willing to be faithful. And we see how God used Joseph in incredible ways, and he ended up promoting him to the second in command of the known world at that time. Someone who became, or who went from the bottom of the bottom, I, he was at the bottom of his barrel at his wit's end, you would say. 
And God used him and promoted him to a place of extreme power where God could use him in incredible ways. The next name I want to look at here in Hebrews 11 is found in verse number 23. You can see verse number 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And we see this, or we're introduced to this man named Moses, and we all know who Moses was. But you think about the very beginning of Moses' life. What was it that endangered Moses from the beginning? The king had put out a decree that any male children born under the Hebrews was to be killed, or under the Israelites was to be killed immediately. And so before Moses was ever even born, he was, had a death sentence on his head. Just because he was being born, he, had a, he was wanted. And you think about people who should not even be alive, and you think about Moses. And according to the king's commandment, that young baby should never have been born. Or if it was born, it should have been killed immediately. And you think about the most unlikely person for God to choose to use, and that was the one that wasn't even supposed to live. The one that wasn't supposed to live more than maybe five minutes after being born, that's who God chose to use. And you think about this little baby that was then taken and put in an ark and put out into the river, and then was found and brought up in Pharaoh's house. And again, God promoted him into a position of power. But then God put him on the backside of the wilderness to learn, to teach him and to speak to him, and then uses that man to lead his children out of the land of Egypt into the, into the promised land, or to the promised land. And you look at this man, and you think about Moses, and I would say that a highlight in Moses' life that I would think of when I think of Moses would be when the children of Israel are crossing the Red Sea. You see Moses standing there with his rod out over the sea, and as it begins to split, and this unimaginable thing is occurring, something that is unbelievable. Something that you can't even explain scientifically. This world still doesn't know how it happened. But we as Christians know that it was by God. And this man that's standing there being used of God to do this great thing and to lead these people through the middle of the sea on dry land wasn't even supposed to live. He wasn't even supposed to be alive, but yet that's who God chose to use. And because his parents were willing to give, him to, or give their child over to the Lord, because... Moses was willing to give himself to God and be used. God used him in incredible ways. You continue looking down through here. And we'll skip ahead here in Hebrews 11 a little bit. We'll go over here to verse number 31. This one is interesting. Verse number 31 says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. We see we're introduced to this lady that you read down through these names, you think of Abraham and Joseph and Moses and all these different people we spoke about so far. And then there's the harlot Rahab. And you think about all these great men that were used of God in incredible ways, and all of a sudden you come to this name, and you're like, okay, why is this one here? Why did God seem fit to put her name in with these others? And it's because she was an unlikely individual that God was, will or that was willing to be used of God. Someone that I would say is probably one of the most unlikely in this entire passage here to be used of God. And yet God was able to use her. And we, all, we know the account of the harlot Rahab, how the spies came into Jericho and she hid them there within her house. 
And she was willing to put trust in the God of Israel. She knew there was something different about this God of Israel. And so she helped to hide these spies and protect them. And then they told her to put the cord out the window and that when the walls came down, she'd be spared and everyone that was in her house. And so we introduced this lady that lived in a disgusting, filthy, sinful life, but yet God was still able to use her. We keep on going down to the next verse, verse number 22, and it says, And what more shall I say? The time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David also and Samuel and of the prophets, for through faith, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. And you see this verse here in 32, and there's so many names crammed into this verse here. We see Samson's name. That's another one that we look at and we're like, okay, does he really fit in here? Samson, you think of him and you, we all the time think of a failure. We think of someone who failed, but yet God still used Samson in his life. And apparently, according to this, he still had some faith in his life towards God. He still had faith in God in some way that he trusted in God for his salvation. And you th see other names down there. You think of David. I love the story of David. You think about David of an unlikely individual, a shepherd boy. Shepherd boy out watching his father's sheep. And God begins to train him out there. He begins to teach him. And he brings trials into his life, such as the bear and the lion. And he brings things to strengthen him and to build him up and get him prepared for when God would need to use him in his life. And you think of David and Goliath, a young boy against a trained Philistine who is giant, Goliath of Gath. And you think about this story. It's just an incredible story. You think about the most unlikely individual there in that army to go out there and fight Goliath was David. He tried to try on Saul's armor, and it was too heavy and too big for him even. He couldn't even wear anything to protect himself because he was too weak to carry it. But yet that's who God chose to go out there and defeat the one that was scaring everyone. That's the one that God chose. You think of Gideon. And who was Gideon? Gideon was the, or, and what did Gideon do? Gideon led an army for the Lord. Gideon went out and he was a judge back there in Judges. And he went out and conquered the Midianites. He went out and led it, um, Israel into a victory. But where did Gideon begin? Gideon began hiding. You know, if we were to come in this room and decide, okay, we're going to pick somebody to lead us into battle. Okay, the one hiding behind the pew over there, that's the one we're going to pick. Okay, he's a coward. That's a good choice. But that's who God chose. God chose the one that was hiding, that was scared, and the one that was fearful to do anything. He was down in a wine press, threshing wheat. That's not where you'd thresh wheat. You'd thresh it up on the threshing floors, up on top of the hill where the wind would blow. They'd put a wine press down in the valley so they didn't have to carry the grapes uphill to go to it. And so he's down in a place where you wouldn't normally thresh wheat. He's probably throwing it up in the air and it's sticking to him because the wind's not blowing it away. All these troubles are going through his life. He's hiding, he's scared, and yet that's who God chose to lead an army into battle. You think about Samuel. You look back in Samuel. I'm reading through Samuel right now in my devotions, and you think about an unlikely individual. Samuel wasn't even born, and yet he was promised unto the Lord. Samuel wasn't even alive, and yet his life was being used for God. And from the time he was born, and he was taken to the temple there to serve, and he began to work there, and God used him in incredible ways as a prophet. And you think of how he anointed David as king, and God continued to use him all throughout his life. 
You think about, and there's so many more people than, like it says in verse number two, or 33, or 32, it said time would fail for us to tell of all of them. You know, we see all throughout the Bible, and I think you all get the idea, there's a lot of unlikely individuals in the Bible. There's a lot of people that should not have been used, but yet God chose to use them. So my question to you is this, how unlikely are you that you can't be used of God? So many times you think of Oliver B. Green, he said, that he could have the first Baptist church of I can't. Can't sing, can't preach, can't do this, can't mow the yard, can't clean the church. Nobody can do anything. And it seems that that's the way it is in most, or most churches, is there's more people who can't than, more, than people who can. And the honest truth of it is, it's people who won't. It's people who don't want to. It's people who don't want to be used. And it's because they've classified themselves as unusable. Or they've said that they're too unlikely, they're too incapable of doing something. And it's because they're not willing to give their life to God. And so my question to you is this, how unlikely are you? And you think about the harlot Rahab. So many times in our lives we say, I've done this in my life, and I've done this, and I've done this, and I'm, I have disqualified myself to help God. And there are a few situations where that does happen in the Bible, and the Bible makes that clear. But you know, the harlot Rahab lived a life. Her entire living came by way of sin. Her life was nothing but disgust and sin and constantly doing things that were totally against God's law. But yet God was able to use him. Are you worse than her? Is your life that messed up that God can't use you? He was able to use someone whose life was, or living was made by sin. And yet we'll say, oh no, you see, I've done this or I've done this in my life and God can't use me because of that. And all that becomes is nothing more than an excuse. There's an evangelist, in, or there was an evangelist, he passed away a ways back. And he wrote a song called Excuses. And many, some of you may have heard he used to live in our town. I actually mowed his grass for him. And, he, and I love that song because it says, um, the devil will supply them if from church you'll stay away. You know, that's a very true statement. If you're willing to use the excuses, Satan will just keep on giving them to you. And Satan will continue to feed you excuses and continue to give them. You think of so many different things, and we may classify it as a disability in our life, something that disables us from being used of God. You know, I, met, or I had the privilege of traveling with MTT last year to New Zealand. I met a man there named Liam. And Liam had some kind of a brain disorder, or not brain disorder, but physical disorder, to where he had no control of his legs or his arms or anything, but he could barely turn his head. He couldn't even move his mouth. He could blink his eyes, and he could breathe. But outside of that, he was completely paralyzed. And Liam came, or we were there in their church, and he came up to me afterward, and he had an iPad where he could punch out sentences just barely with his fingers and be able to speak to you through that. And as he, and he sat there and he talked to me about stuff, and he said, and I asked him, I said, do you do anything around the church? Because he's speaking about how he's involved and how he's trying. I said, what do you do around the church? And he said, I can't. He said, I, I work a job. So he said, I tithe a lot. But he said, also, I feel like I want to give more to the church. So I sell chocolate and candy bars on the side, and all the money goes to fund foreign missions. And he told me he had raised over $15,000 the year prior through doing that for worldwide missions. My question to you is, if a man in a wheelchair that is paralyzed, who can't even speak except for typing out on a 
thing is able to raise $15,000, and because he can't physically go help those that can, what is our excuse for not doing something for God? Isabel Kuhn, this drama here, we'd see a girl who had trials in her life and troubles, and she was an unlikely individual, and she was scared and didn't adapt easy and had all kinds of issues, and she didn't learn very quickly. She had to go through some trials to learn. But God eventually was able to use her. Towards the end of her life, she made a statement that is just an incredibly true statement. It says, I believe that in each generation, God has called enough men and women to evangelize all of the yet unreached tribes of the earth. It is not God who does not call. It is man who will not respond, Isabel Kuhn. And you think about this lady who her life started out as being a rebellious teenager who was running from God and wanted nothing to do with him. And then turns around and at the end of her life says that she, she believes that there's enough people in the world that could reach everyone with the gospel. Every single individual on earth in this generation that we're living in could be reached with the gospel if everyone who's called to be witness to him would. You'd ask yourself, who's called? Uh, am I? Well, the answer is yes. The Great Commission doesn't just extend to a few people. It isn't a Calvinistic Great Commission. It's a Great Commission that goes to everyone. He doesn't pick and choose who he'll call. He calls you to a mission field that he gives you. It could be a mission field at your job place. It could be a mission field of your neighborhood. It could be a mission field within your own family because you may have lost loved ones within your family that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, each of us have a way that we can serve the Lord. Each of us are unlikely, broken, messed up people that have problems in our life. And, you know, constantly you get scared, you get worried, you fear what God may do with you. And it is an unknown thought. But, you know, there's something Brother Landis says to us constantly whenever we're doing something. and He'll look at us and he'll say, you know, you and God make a majority. That it doesn't matter how many other people are on the other side, you and God will always make a majority. And so my question is this, how unlikely are you that you can't be used of God when you and God make a majority? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for this evening, Lord, be able to come to your house, and Lord, be able to open your word, and Lord, to see these people that you've used. Lord, how unlikely and messed up and different they are. But Lord, you are willing to use them. Lord, I just pray that you would bless and guide and, Lord, help us. Lord, I pray if there's some young man or young lady here, Lord, that you may be calling, Lord, to go into the ministry. Lord, may you, you may just be calling them back to you. Lord, I pray that you'd work in hearts. Lord, bless and guide. Lord, I pray that you just help us, Lord, that we'd serve you with our lives. In your name I do pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly live broadcast from Pear Park Baptist Church. We pray the service was a blessing to all our listeners. Our earnest prayer is that you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10:13 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to trust Christ, you must first believe that you're a sinner, deserving of God's judgment, and that Christ died to pay God's penalty for your sin, and that he rose again from the dead then you may right now pray and according to Romans 10:13 call upon God and ask for salvation through Jesus Christ if you've made a decision to trust Christ let us know 
The number of the offices at Fair Park Baptist Church is 434-4113. Someone's generally available to take calls during regular weekday business hours. In addition, the best means to spiritual help and growth is through faithful attendance at a Bible-believing church. We would encourage you to be at the very next service of Pear Park Baptist Church. Our weekly prayer meeting and Bible study is at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Sunday schools at 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday mornings with the worship service at 11 and at 6.30 p.m. the evening service. Pear Park Baptist Church is a fundamental Bible-preaching and Bible-believing church located here in Grand Junction at 3102 E Road. And once again, we appreciate your joining us for this live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church.